Shaking. What a good morning it is to be in church this morning. Are you happy to be in church? What an amazing church we have here in Mount Barker. Pastor Gary, that was great news about the, the hampers and $10,000. I mean, that's going to go a long way. And that's what it's all about. You know, that's what it's all about. You have an amazing gift and an amazing ability to tap into that business community. You're such a, you know, I'm enjoying learning off of you. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, it's great to have the Reverend Doctor back from his worldwide tour. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what is more important. Is it the Alpha Crucius side of things, or is it the bakery side of things? Uh, when you go, there's certainly a lot of photos of vanilla slices. So, where was your favourite vanilla slice on the Air Peninsula? Has to think about it. We'll come back to you. Come back to you. Uh, if you don't follow Dean, make sure you get on uh, Instagram and uh, <laughs> check out the bakery tours. Uh, Tumby Bay. Okay, okay. There you go. So it's great, it's great to have you back, Dean. You and Lisa are amazing people. You do so much for the church. Um, you do so much for the kingdom of heaven. And we're just so appreciative of all you do. And you know what I don't like about Dean? I mean, not only is he very clever, if you don't know, he is literally a reverend doctor. Um, that's not even a joke. Uh, he is. I'm just a lowly pastor. Um, but he plays keyboards. Uh, he surfs. He eats vanilla slices and doesn't put on any weight. Um, in fact, I don't like you anymore, uh, Dean. <laughs> hey, did you notice uh, while you were around meeting and greeting, shaking hands with your neighbour, this pulpit magically appeared? Jane. I don't know how I'd got here. You know, I want to thank Mel. Mel does an amazing job. Where's Mel? I can't see her. Mel's here somewhere. Mel does an amazing job getting this up, getting it, make sure it's clean, make sure I've got my water in case I choke on my communion biscuit. It does happen every now and then. If you see Mel, why don't you give her a big encouragement? She's awesome. She does an amazing job every Sunday uh, doing, taking care of that. Hey, have we met? My name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors here at Revival City Church, Mount Barker, alongside Pastor Gary and Jane. And um, it's my pleasure to be with you this morning. And it's great to see Pastor Keith and Wendy, who were on their deathbed last week. So I hear. No, no, just a little bit of COVID, a little bit of the spicy cough, but you're okay. You've made it through. You've endured. You're here on the other side. Fantastic. Why don't we get into the Word of God? Uh, we're opening our Bibles today to the book of Philippians chapter 2. It's in my top four chapters of Philippians. <laughs> a joke only a theologian would get. There's only four chapters. Chapter 2, verse 25. So this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says, meanwhile, so he's halfway through a thought. He's halfway through his, his this is essentially almost halfway through that letter to the church in Philippi. And he interrupts himself and he says, meanwhile... I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker and fellow soldier and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. Um, see, COVID existed uh, back around the, the birth of the early church as well. Um, the speculation um, but God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have so I would not have one sorrow after another. 
So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know that you'll be glad to see him, and then I'll not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honour that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Philippi is if is in Greece. It's in you know if just in the northwestern corner of Greece. If you get to Thessalonica, keep going a little bit further around towards Turkey, and, and you're there. Um, and uh, I hear they've got great bakeries and vanilla slices uh, in the local Philippi um, bakery. So this is actually a church that Paul planted in about AD 50 on his second missionary journey. He's roaming around from Jerusalem right through Turkey. And it's the first place that he actually preached in, in Europe. Um, And he's writing this letter to them about 10 or 12 years later. He's writing it from prison and he's writing it back to the church that he planted, to the people that he loves, and he's writing it as as a letter of encouragement to them. The church is going through some persecution and he's writing back to them. And and while uh, Paul is in prison, he's been imprisoned for outworking the call of God on his life, for preaching the gospel. And he's made his way to prison, which is fantastic. That's the place that you want to be. And uh, the church in Philippi, um, who love him dearly as much as he loves them, sends one of their favorite people in the entire world, one of their most trusted ambassadors, um, if he was to be someone from our church, it'd probably be someone like Luke Phelan. We're sending the best of the best. The Church of Philippi, they send Epaphroditus over to visit uh, uh, Paul in prison and he brings him a gift, uh, a monetary gift, um, because he's under house arrest. He can't go out and do what he needs to do. He can't um, get around and preach. So Epaphroditus actually hangs around for a while and, and does Paul's work for him. So Paul's based in, in prison and he's, um, and he's doing prison life, I don't know, breaking rocks or no, um, he's writing his letters and he's, he's living the prison life and then he has Epaphroditus who becomes his right hand man and sort of uh, outworks the call of God on his life and I don't know really what happened but at some point he got sick because of the work that he had to do. So <clears throat> Epaphroditus is is, you know, Paul says, will you go visit this man and encourage him or carry this letter to this person or this is what I was hoping you could do for me. And even in prison, Epaphroditus is helping him out, you know, bringing him food, bringing him the things that he needs. So Epaphroditus is the best of the best. Um, it's strange that of all of the names in the Bible that we choose to name our kids now, Epaphroditus didn't hang on, uh, Pastor Gary. It's not one you see in the top 10 lists of children's names, um, uh, unlike, um, unlike Eutychus. No, that one wasn't popular either. Uh, we got Paul's, we got, we got Philip's, uh, so, but Eutychus. Maybe, maybe you've got grandkids coming, maybe you, you're thinking of having children. Think about Epaphroditus. Um, if you can name your child Epaphroditus, you'll get free coffee for life here at Revival City Cafe. Can I say, can I make that promise? Okay. You know, I'm used to it because, you know, I grew up in Sejuna and I'm used to being the best of the best, the golden child. That's, that's who I was. I remember in year 10, I was on the SRC, the Student Representative Council. I was the, I was the one that was elected. I don't know why, uh, but I got there. I got onto the SRC and uh, every year 
um, representatives from the leadership council would go to Adelaide to meet the governor. Um, and so I got selected along with another girl and a boy and a girl. Uh, I was the boy. And we got to come to Adelaide to meet the governor. Now, I'm just a 16-year-old kid. I don't know what the governor is. I don't really understand that whole thing. Um, and so anyway, I come to Adelaide and I'm staying with my grandma in Tea Tree Gully well, my, and grandpa. And she's kind of like, so they were they migrated from from Salisbury, England, in in the mid sixties, um, and she's she's a rusted on monarchist, you know, um, and so am I, and uh, <coughs> Team Harry and Megan. I don't know, I'm, I'm not all about that, <coughs> but uh, <coughs> so so I'm I'm with my granny, and and the thing about my school is that we didn't actually have a uniform, so you could just wear whatever you wanted to wear. As long as it was neat, casual, you know, they didn't really have any uniform. So I come to my granny's and she says, um, well, what are you going to wear when you meet the governor? You see, the governor is the Queen's representative in South Australia. The governor is a very important person. And I said to granny, I said, I don't know, I'll just wear what I'm wearing. And she was literally outraged. Um, She was shocked. She said, do you mean to tell me? You're going to meet the Queen's representative in South Australia and you're going to wear that? I don't think so. So she was really upset that I didn't have a school uniform. So we went op shopping. Uh, we went and visited a bunch of op shops and Granny put together some form of a school uniform for me. We got the grey pants and a, a top that you know looked like it was a school uniform jumper and, and she put this all together. Some of it was too tight. Um, I could barely walk, but she made me into have some form of a uniform because I didn't want to be disrespectful to the Queen. I don't know if she thought the Queen might come back and and maybe start gossiping about Granny. Oh, I can't believe Stella's grandson. No uniform. She thought maybe the Queen might write a letter, throw her in the dungeon. I don't know. She was she was outraged. So anyway, I meet up with with Vanjie, the girl that I was going to the governor see the governor with, and she looked at me like. What are you wearing? <laughs> I felt like such a fool. But that's what you know when you're the best of the best. I guess that's the things that happen to you. I'm used to being a, to Epaphroditus. He's sent by the church at Philippi and he stays with Paul when he begins to work with him while Paul is in jail. Epaphroditus becomes his hands and feet, carrying out the ministry that he was called to do. And in his expression of gratitude for Epaphroditus, Paul writes this amazing uh, few verses in this entire book dedicated to him, recommending him back to the church at Philippi. And it's clear that Paul doesn't see him as just some insubordinate. He doesn't see him as some slave that he kicks backwards and forwards or some servant to come and do the work that Paul just didn't want to do. It's clear that Paul saw him as someone that was extremely valuable. He didn't see him as less called. He didn't see him as less gifted. He didn't see him as less anointed. He saw him as a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, carrying out the work of God, carrying out the call that's on them, moving the kingdom of heaven forward. You see, there was no, there was no, I'm better than you or, 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 uh, or, you know, you should do what I say because I have this position or I'm the more anointed or I'm the more called one. Paul saw Epaphroditus as a brother. 
as a fellow worker, as a fellow soldier. There's someone who, who worked shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm. They had different roles, they had different functions, they had different responsibilities, but there's no way did that make one better than the other. And it's the same here in the church. You know, the church is called to be a, a brother, a, a family, a, a bunch of co-workers, a fellow soldiers where no one is more important than the other. You know, the work of the church, the work of the kingdom, the work of carrying out the call of God in, in Mount Barker and seeing revival in the Adelaide Hills, it's not laid down to one person. It's not laid down to this person and, and I'm better than you and you need to do what I say or uh, you need to do this because that's not my... You know, we're all equal. We have different roles, we have different functions, we have different responsibilities, but the call of God on each one of us is just the same. Different roles, different callings, but arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, moving the kingdom of heaven forward. You know, a lot of times we see the pastor or or the kids worker, or, or the one that runs the cafe, they're the ones that need to do the work, or the one with the most titles in their name, I'm looking at you, Dean, you know, they're the ones that need to do the work. But the reality is God doesn't really care about our titles. I mean, we do. I really appreciate my title. You know, God doesn't care about it. God cares about the anointing and the call that's on your life, and he's calling us to move forward, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, moving the kingdom of heaven forward. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 10, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak, though God himself was speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping others? Do it all with the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. We all have a gift. We all have a calling. We all have a responsibility and anointing. It's not up to one person, but we work together arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, moving the church forward, moving the kingdom of heaven forward. In our home, in our church, and in our workplace or school or university, we are brothers, we are family, we are fellow workers and fellow soldiers working together. You see, no one would look at a football team and say that the full back is any less important than the full forward. The full forward is the one that kicks the goals, but the full back is the one that stops them. The ruck is the one that jumps up and wins. The, you know, every person, there's 18 people on a football field, 36, two teams, every one of them is just as important as the other. Every role is important. The wing, the centre, every role has a function and everyone works together to see the game won. We work together just like a team. Every role, every function, everyone has a different role, but we work together to see the cause of the kingdom move forward. Now, I'm sure there were many people that visited Paul in prison. I'm sure there were many people that came for a visit, that came to bring a gift, that came to maybe give him a word of encouragement or to, or to carry a thought of encouragement to him. But there was only one person aside from Timothy that Paul encourages and that Paul writes about, and that's Epaphroditus. You see, it's not just about the gift that Epaphroditus brought that made him stand out to Paul. It's not the way that he was dressed. I'm sure he was very well dressed or the way that he'd done his hair. It's how he ministered and how he outworked the call of God on his life 
alongside Paul. You see, Paul says to the church in Philippi, Paul says about Epaphroditus, he was your messenger. You sent him to minister to me. But he was my brother. He was my fellow worker and he was my fellow soldier. He was yours and you did send him, but he was mine. And he takes an ownership over him as if he was family and blood himself. You know, I think there is something about Epaphroditus that we can learn that we could apply here as a church and the church as a whole in, in Australia. So this morning I want to look at three things in Epaphroditus that were appreciated by Paul that we individually and we the church should hope towards. First of all, Epaphroditus, Paul describes him as a true brother. You see, not a brother by birth, but a brother in Christ, a brother spiritually, but also one that was forged through uh, in being in the trenches together, through working together, through through fight, fighting the fight alongside each other, through a shared cause, a common cause, and through their dedication to each other. See, we the church, we're, we're family. We're not just acquaintances that come together and sit down like you're catching a bus to the city. You know, we're people that are working together. We're a community. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters. John chapter 13, verse 34 says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, sometimes we're great at loving the community. You know, sometimes we're great at being a witness and a light out in the community. We, we show love to those that are around us and maybe... We show love in our workplace or maybe we show love when we're at the, at the supermarket, at the checkout or we're pumping petrol. We're very aware that people are watching us. We're very aware of our outward persona. But what is it to love your neighbour in church? What is it to love your family at home? What is it about the, you know, the outside sphere, the public sphere is, is one thing. We have our home where we live and then we have our home where our family is, where our church is. Sometimes we're great and we love people and we're very biblical and we've got social justice and we're moving things forward and the cause of the gospel. But those within our own family, sometimes we treat those within the church, sometimes even as the enemy, as someone that's a, comp- a competitor to us or, or someone that's maybe st- taking something away from us. We're gossiping, we're talking about behind backs or, or maybe we become strangers who occupy the same building but we don't really know each other. You know, the church is a family. We're a family who love each other, who, who will go into bat for each other, who will have the best for each other. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, you know this passage well. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not, does not on, dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And it's a beautiful passage of Scripture that we read out at the beginning of weddings. People love that as their passage. Even people that don't go to church know 1 Corinthians 13. They know that this is the love passage that we read from the Bible, but 
This passage of Scripture is really about God's love for us. It's about the agape love of God towards us, that He is patient of us even when when we don't deserve that patience. He is kind to us even when we don't deserve kindness. But it's more than that. It's more than just God's love for us, but it's an example of how we should love each other. Even when our brothers and sisters don't deserve patience, we give them patience because God first gave us patience. We give them kindness even though they may not deserve our kindness because we didn't deserve the kindness that God gave us. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonour others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. Love doesn't delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Now this is the thing, love, God's love for us. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. God's love for us never fails. And because God's love for you doesn't ever fail, our love for our brothers and sisters should never fail. Our love for the person sitting next to us or for our husband or wife or for our children, it should always protect. It should always be trusting. It should always be hopeful. It should always persevere and it should never fail. Because we take the love that was given to us by God and we outwork it here in this place and in our home with our family. This place, this church, your home at home, but this home right here, this should be the safest place. This should be the most encouraging place, the most generous place, the most loving place. You know, I would love for us to be the people that are fighting to be the most patient, that are fighting to be the most generous that are fighting over who's going to pay for your coffee or who's going to take who out for lunch. Because this love and this love that God has given us isn't about what can you do for me. It's about what can I do for you. Because God did it for us first and we outwork it to our brothers and sisters next. You know, one of the things that spoke to my heart was when Shale went through and he had a bit of a flood at his place and then Luke uh, rang me and and organised a little bit of a working bee and some of the guys went and help Shael and just help do whatever needed to be to be done. That's that's love. That's church in action. That's how we love each other. You know, I'm sure that there was many other things that Luke, and I think you as well, Dean, you know, could have been doing on a Saturday. But that's love, that we lay down our lives for our friend, that we help each other out. Three things in Epaphroditus that were appreciated by Paul, that we individually and we the church should hope towards. Firstly, he was a brother. Secondly, he was a fellow worker. Philippians 2 verse 30 says, For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while he was doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. The work of Christ. The work of Christ. This is what the work that God has given us to do in our community, in our family, as the Christian, how, what we are called to do. You know, the work of Christ. There is work to do. You know, I love being on holidays. One of our favourite places to go is the Gold Coast. And I have this strange love for the Gold Coast. Um, we go there, you save up all your money, you save up and you build towards it and you get to there and you've got maybe a week or two weeks in the Gold Coast and you You've saved up and you're paying for a beautiful house or apartment. You might have a hire car. You go to the theme parks, which I don't love, but, you know, the kids love. You know, 
you're basically on, you're on holidays. You got money to spend, you got cash to burn, you're eating out, no one's having to cook, no one's having to do the dishes. You're just eating out all the time. You're going to awesome places. Man, I love holidays. And I think that's why I love the Gold Coast. Because whenever I go there, I'm on holidays. I love going there. I love spending money. You work hard. You save your money. You got your accommodation all paid for. You don't have to make your bed. Someone will come and do that for you, hopefully. But that's not real life, is it? I mean, it's not real. It's not how we actually live our life. It's not what we are called to do day to day. That's the exception, not the rule. Now, Luke 4 verse 18 outlines the work of God that he's called us to do. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favour has come. You know, holidays are great, but they're not normal. You know, it's not normality for me. I'd love for it to be normal, but if I, did, if I behaved how I behaved on my holidays at home, just didn't make my bed, uh, didn't contribute, didn't work, uh, didn't, didn't help make food or didn't help do the dishes, I'm pretty sure that Sarah would have something to say very quickly about that, about my, about my conduct, conduct around the house. You know, my family need me. My family need me to step up. They need me to step up to to work, to bring in income, to be a participant in the house that I live in, to to help clean, to help cook, to help look after the kids, although they can look after themselves pretty well at the moment. But they need me. My family need me. And the world needs you to do the work of Christ. Your workplace needs you to be a light. It needs you to be a witness. And this church needs, this family needs all of us working together for the cause of Christ. Romans 8 verse 18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And verse 19, it says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that day when God will reveal who his children are. The creation is waiting. It says in, in the New King James that it's, it's groaning. It's, it's waiting for the presence of God. And you've been sent into your workplace, into, your, into your, the wet area that you live in. He's been sent, you've been sent into your home, into your school to carry out the work of Christ. You know, you are there to earn an income. You are there to be a good worker, a diligent worker, or you are there to be a good husband or a good wife. But your primary role and your primary function is to carry out the work of Christ, is to be a light into your community, to be a light into your workplace, to be a light into every area that you walk into. You know, if someone's sick and, and you know that they're, that they're okay, they're not a full atheist or anything, why don't you ask if you can pray for them? Don't have to be weird about it, but you just have to step out in faith and believe that God's going to do something. Let God do the rest. We don't do the healing. All we do is the praying. Someone's sick, do you mind if I pray for you? I won't be weird, I promise. No tongues except under my breath. Holy Spirit, I ask that you heal Pastor Keith today. Take away his congestion in Jesus' name. Amen. Simple, easy, it requires a step of faith. But let God do the rest. Let God be the healer. You just be the prayer. You know, if they're sick, ask if you can lay hands on them and believe that God will move. You know, one of the things that I do is I'm able to pick the kids up several days a week from school and I pick them up and there's always a flurry of activity. You know, they're telling me about their day and Amelia's telling me about everything and then we get home 
Then the first thing that they do when they get home is they have a snack and they sit down and watch a bit of TV. They chill out. I make sure they kick their shoes off, especially if it's a hot day. Yeah, just relax. Start to unwind from the day. Yeah, for about half an hour or maybe 45 minutes, they might do that. Depends on um, if it's a merely in charge, it would probably be that's all she'd do. But there's work to do. They get, they have their relax, they have their snack, they have their drink, watch a bit of TV, and then it's straight into homework. And then once the homework is done, it's on to the other things that need to be done for the day. There are times in our life where it's entirely appropriate that we put our feet up, that we have a rest, that we go on a holiday, that we take the time to rest. But when that's not how life is meant to be. There's work to do. There's things to be done. There's a cause that we need to be out working. When someone says, I love it when we say, welcome home. I'm so glad that you've joined the church. Or someone gets saved and we say, welcome home. I'm glad that you could be here. I'm glad that you could be home. This is your place. This is your home. You know, that's right and it's proper that people have a season where they sit and they maybe need restoration or they maybe need to be um, have their soul healed and their, their soul made whole again. Sometimes people come in and we don't know the situation or scenario that they've walked in from, but there is also a time where it's time to get to work. It's time to put your hand to the plow. There's so many things in this church that we do. There's so many great out, outreaches that we have. And it's great that we're packing hampers and we've got people from the community that are helping, but we need to be leading the way in that as well. We've got the, the, the nature play group on, uh, on tomorrow morning. We've got the community pantry. Sunday mornings, we've got kids. We've got cafe. We've got the welcoming team. Every role, just like a football team, although it may not, uh, there may be different roles and different functions, each one is just so important. It's just so important. What an honour and a privilege it is to be the one that gets to minister to the children. You know, 85% of people that make a decision for Christ do it before they turn 14. What an honour and a privilege it is to be able to be a part of that journey, to be a part of seeing these little ones. We don't know what they're going to grow into. You know, I look at all the little ones. Your Isabella, your Isabella. Do you, anyone over here have an Isabella? There's another Isabella over there. Sebastian, you know, I think of Zach, you know, he's at the back there. I don't know what their future holds for them, but imagine having a hand in playing and in, in, in seeing that orchestrated. Being God's hands and feet to those little ones. I don't know if there's pastors, preachers, prime ministers, popes. Um, probably not popes. They're in the wrong church for that. I don't know what the future is, but the, the privilege and the honour of being able to serve our children when you're on the door and you're welcoming someone, you don't know whether they've just walked in from a broken home. We don't know if they're homeless. We don't know if they've had the best week or the worst week. What an honour and a privilege it is to be the face that they see. When you're making coffee, when you're in the cafe, when you're in the hospitality area, it's a privilege and an honour. A healthy family is a family where everyone contributes. We share common goals and we work together to reach those goals. This church is your home and has so much that we need to do to reach the community and we are all fellow workers in the ministry. I've got this picture that comes up on Facebook. You know the memories? Every, every year you get, the, you get the Facebook memories and we've got this picture of my youngest daughter, Amelie, and she would have been two maybe, two, maybe 18 months and she's sitting on the windowsill at home and she's in her pyjamas and she's sitting on the windowsill. She'd had a, just had a bath. And she's got her feet up on the, she's sitting on the window, so she's got her feet up on the Barbie minivan um, that she drives. So she's just like living her best life. 
And she's in the middle, and I remember the scene uh, like it was yesterday, in the middle of just yelling out her dessert. She just had to say her dessert order to Sarah. Mum, I just I want ice cream, I want this, I want this, I want this, you know, just like a little queen, just like just sitting there, like just barking orders around. You know, the reality is that that doesn't fly in the family, right? Like you, it was funny at the time, but I mean, if she was 15 and still doing that, then we'd have serious problems. When it comes to the family, there's no kings, there's no queens, there's no golden thrones, there's no one barking orders. You know, we have different functions, we have different roles. In my family, I'm the dad, Sarah's the mum. We have different roles, just to clarify that, uh, in case you were wondering. Um, <laughs> I'll get in trouble. There's no one person that does everything. There's no one person barking orders. We all have a role, we all have a function, and we're all called to outwork the ministry of the gospel, the cause of Christ. There's no one person that does it all for everyone, um, Except at times me at home. I like to think that I'm the king, but I'm brought down to earth pretty quickly. So (laughs) praise the Lord. Three things in Epaphroditus appreciated by Paul that we individually and we the church should hope towards. Firstly, he was a brother. Second, he was a fellow worker. And third, third, he was a fellow soldier. Now, we're all in a battle. Sometimes we don't realize it. Sometimes we don't see it. But we are in a battle. The church in Philippi at the time, there was some persecution. Paul was obviously in somewhat of a battle because he was in prison. You know, the church went 300 years of persecution, sometimes severe persecution. There is churches across the world today in Syria and Iraq and China. You know, there's real persecution in India. You know, there's real persecution. Pastors are beaten. Christians are, are denied access to the, to the life that everyone else deserves. You know, there is real persecution. But here we also fight a battle. It's easy to think I'm blessed because I don't live in Syria. And you are blessed, trust me. But we are in a battle as well. John 10.10 10 says, The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life in abundance. You see, on the one hand, you've got the devil who all he wants to do is to steal to kill and destroy. Then over here you've got God who wants to bring life and life in abundance. And they both want have 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 a dream and have a desire and have a plan for our life. And we make the choice as soldiers to fight for the for the for the plan of God for our life, to fight for the things of God for our life, to continue to fight for what God wants for our family, for our home, for our community, for our church. You don't underestimate the fact that the devil is here and he's wanting to attack your family. The devil is here and he's wanting to attack this church. The devil is here and that your co-workers, uh, the people that you're with, he wants them to, to, to be stolen from. He wants to take everything from them. He wants to kill them. Not only does he want to kill them, he wants to destroy them. That's the reality of the battle that we face. And although it's not a physical fight, it is a spiritual fight that goes on. And we are the soldiers that are fighting it. The battle that we fight is outworked in the decisions that we make every day. Decisions for our family, decisions for our faith, decisions for our church, and decisions for our future. The battle is fought when you have had no sleep, but then you still choose to have a quiet time with God and to pray for your family. 
The battle is fought when the bills come in and that winter electricity bill comes in and the rates are going up, but I still choose to tithe. The battle is fought that even though I'm tired and I feel like I'm I'm not connected in, I'm going to push in and maybe volunteer in part of the church community. You know, the battle is fought every single day when you make a godly decision. You know, I think about my grandfather who's 98 and he's gone to be with the Lord, but he nursed my grandmother for the last two or three years of his life. And one of the things that I've always admired about that is that he made a God, he was a godly example of what a husband should look like. He made a godly decision every day to be a godly husband, to be a man of God, to stand by his wife's side, to nurse her, to look after her, to honour his marriage vows. That's what it's like. That's the battle that we face every day to make godly and right decisions. Dean, if you could join me, that would be fantastic. And there's lots of reasons for us to give up. There's lots of reasons for us to give in to the easy way. You know, it says the path is narrow. And it's a, it's a lot easier to go on the path that's wide. There's lots of reasons for us to, to choose the easy way, to, to just maybe skip our quiet time this morning because I'm not, I'm, I've, I haven't slept. Maybe I've been so busy at work, I'm going to put aside reading the Word and I'm just going to watch a bit of Netflix for a little while, especially Thursday when the second lot of Megan and Harry comes out. When you keep getting attitude and disrespect from your, from your children or, or from the people in the church, when we make the decision to live godly and to, and to treat people with respect and to treat people with patience and kindness, Matthew says, Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount, when they hate you and exclude you, mock you and curse you. We still choose to get up every day and make the right decision, to make the godly decision, to walk in patience and kindness and love. Love never fails. Love never fails. I've failed many times. I've failed many times. But love has never failed. God's love has never failed. And because God's love for me never fails, I know that even though I do fail, I pick myself up. I lose my patience. I lose my cool with the kids at home. And then I choose because God is patient with me. I ask for forgiveness and I choose to pick up patience one more time. The bills come in and everything gets busy and, and the finances are stretched and I, and I, and I choose. I, I can't give this week. God is gracious and God is generous with me so that I'd make the decision again to be generous one more time. Because God is generous and God is loving and God is kind to us and we can be kind to those around us. And the battle is fought. We are soldiers in the trench. But we get up and we, and we fight by making godly decisions every day to do the right things, to keep praying, to keep giving, keep being generous, to hold our peace, to be patient and to choose to be full of joy. You see, the difference between a worker and a soldier is that a worker gets a reward for their work. We have a brother, we have a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. A worker gets a reward for their work. A worker gets paid, they get entitlement, superannuation. and We go to a job and quite often we think, well, I do this because it's what I get out of it. I'm paying my bills, I'm getting my future looked after. The difference between a worker and a soldier is that a soldier doesn't get paid, he lays his life down for his brother. And every time we pay the price for doing the work of Christ, we pay a cost because our actions 
because of our godly decisions. You know, there's going to be a cost that's attached to that. Your prayers, your giving, your generosity, your, your patience, your kindness, it's not just done. It's not just forgotten about. It's not just in the past. But every time you give, you're sowing a seed. Every time you choose patience, you're sowing a seed. Every time you choose kindness, you're sowing a seed. And a seed may appear dead, but it's in its death that it brings new life. Who knows the patience that you have shown the person that is taking forever at the petrol pump, the the patience that you've shown to your children or to your fellow workers, to to your brothers and sisters. Who knows what seed of patience that is sown in them and what re- what you will reap and what they will reap from it. Can we stand together in this place this morning? This is the scripture that was dropped in my heart as I was preparing this message. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. This morning, I felt it impressed on my spirit that there are people that have been doing good and you're at that point of giving up. You're at that point of, I can't go on anymore. I can't keep giving. I can't keep putting out. I can't keep being patient. I can't keep being the one that's kind all the time. I can't keep being the one that carries this. I can't keep doing it. I can't keep being the one that makes the godly decisions. Firstly, I want you to know that your reward is coming. You will reap the harvest of blessing. But Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This morning in this place, I believe that God wants to bring a spirit of of refreshing. That God wants to refresh you. The battle is tough. And sometimes we think just because I'm not fighting a physical battle like our brothers and sisters in other countries, the battle is still tough. It is draining spiritually and emotionally, having to carry the weight of being the one that makes the godly decisions, being the one that brings direction and vision and patience and kindness and peace. The weight is real. And this morning, I believe that God wants to bring a spirit of refreshing. I don't know who that is this morning, but I'm going to ask all of us, why don't we just take a moment? Let's just close our eyes and lift our hands to heaven. And I'm going to ask Dean, why don't you just minister to us on that keyboard? Just play, bring the spirit of God, the anointing of heaven. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary.
that shall walk and not faint. Holy Spirit, I ask for your refreshing spirit to move over this place, to rest in every heart. Would you fill us with your power? Fill us with your peace. Fill us with your kindness. Holy Spirit, everything that we have, we get from you. In the name of Jesus.